Hey, Bestie, I'm Taylor. And I'm Morgan. We are the hosts of Creeps and Crimes podcast. Every Thursday, Morgan takes us on a deep dive into a paranormal case or a conspiracy theory. And Taylor will bring you a detailed and accurate reporting on a true crime case. Since we launched in 2020, we have never missed a Thursday. With over 160 episodes ready for you to binge, you will never run out of cases. And you can follow along on Instagram at Creeps and Crimes podcast. Whether you're in the car or enjoying a glass of wine, tune in every Thursday to Creeps and Crimes. excellent program set up for you this evening, and that typical wide spectrum of subjects as well. Now you might not love every call you're going to hear tonight, but I do my best to make sure that you do love at least one of them. And it's a tall order, but a mission I'm not only confident in, but also eager to accomplish. So let's stop wasting time with small talk and get after it. And to jumpstart this evening, we venture to a state seldom represented here on the program. In a city that's known for its lights. Please welcome Genesis from Nevada to the show. Hi, this is Genesis from Las Vegas, Nevada. I really hope this makes it to the show because it was actually a really creepy story for me. It's my own experience. So many years ago, um, probably like 12 now years ago, I was going to a party with a group of friends. And my boyfriend at the time was the only one who had a car. So we all rode to the party together and everybody was inside. And me and my boyfriend, I, I don't really remember why we were in the car, but like he wasn't feeling well or something. I'm not too sure. I don't really remember. But we were in the back seat of the car and he was asleep on my lap. So I was behind the passenger seat sitting up and he was laying down with his head resting on my legs. And we were in a residential neighborhood not too far from where I live. And I'm sitting there just kind of looking out into the darkness. It was dark outside. And then I see from down the street, like at the very end of the street, I see a tall shadow figure just power walking to the car. And, you know, I'm just looking straight at it. I'm trying to figure out if he's coming towards us. I mean, he was, but I wasn't sure. I was just confused. And my boyfriend at the time, he used to get into a lot of fights. So I was just like, what if it's somebody coming to fight my boyfriend? You know, somebody came out of the party or I don't know. I wasn't sure. So he came closer and closer. And as he got closer, I realized he is definitely going to the car. So once he got to the car, he opened the door on the side where my boyfriend was at. So like the, the back seat door to the driver's seat. And so he opens the door and even the car light turns on. Like, you know, when you open the car and the car light inside, the lights inside turn on, that's what happened. So he opens it and pops his head in. And I swear it was like the craziest thing. My biggest fear has always been to be so scared to the point where I can't scream, I can't yell, I can't react. That's exactly how I was. So he opens the door, pops his head in, and all I see is a shadow figure. It's just like a shape of a man. He had no face. Like, it was just a shadow. 
And she looks up and down at my boyfriend and slams the door shut and power walks away. Like he was like pissed off and he was walking away. And as he was walking away back to where he came from all the way down the street, he turned his head around and looked at me like shaking his head. Like if he was so, like he was pissed off. His body language just said he was angry. So I try to wake up my boyfriend. I'm waking him up. I'm like, oh my God, you got to go figure this out. Like, there's somebody here, this and that. He's like, no, you were dreaming, like this and that. And I was like, no, there's no way I could be dreaming because if I was dreaming, I would have woken up. I never woke up. Like, I literally have been sitting here this whole time. Anyway, he didn't really believe me. Fast forward a few years later, I was broken up with him already. He's kind of irrelevant in the story now. But I was at an event, a work event, it was a fight night, I think like Canelo or I forgot who was fighting that day, Mayweather, I'm not sure. So I told one of my coworkers, I was like, hey, a friend of mine is throwing a fight party. If you want to come, you can follow me. And so she does. And at the time I had a little car that was, like, didn't have tinted windows, so you could see like everything inside. So she's like, okay, I'll follow you. And so she... It's following me or whatever. We go to the party, have a good time, blah, blah, blah. Next day, when I'd show up to work, or on Monday, I think it was, when I show up to work, she's, like, huddled up with, like, other coworkers there, and I'm just like, hey, like, what's going on? And she's just like, you know, I didn't want to tell you that night because I didn't want to freak you out, but when I was following you, I was just so confused because I just thought to myself, at what point did she pick a guy up? because, you know, my car windows weren't tinted so you can see everything inside. And she said that she was confused because she didn't realize at what point I picked someone up. And she's like, yeah, you know, there was this shadow figure, like a really tall man sitting next to you, watching you the whole time you were driving. And then when you stopped the car and I parked behind you, And it was just you who came out. She's like, it was really confusing. You know, um, when you parked and, you know, I was staring, he looked back at me and I got freaked out. And then when you got out of the car and saw that no one was there, it was just even scarier. And I had never told her the original story of when I saw this shadow figure at a party a few years ago. So, yeah, ever since then, you know, I've talked to psychics or other people about the experience and... I get like different stories on who it could possibly be, but I don't know. Like, I really wish I got an answer. Like now that I hear all these stories about these shadow people that other people experience, you know, I mean, definitely makes me feel like I'm not alone. The only thing that is a little different is a lot of people say that the shadow figures that they see have like a top hat, but this guy didn't. He was just a tall shadow figure of a man. So yeah, I would love to hear your insight and I mean, hopefully, you know, give me some kind of answer <laughs> but thank you so much for everything and yeah bye bye thank you Genesis well as we've learned these shadow entities appear in all sorts of forms the hat man that Genesis spoke of described as wearing a wide brimmed hat or fedora then you have your classic shadow blob a non-defined dark shape that sometimes takes on the overall shape of a human being. Then, of course, the well-defined shape of a man, but completely blacked out. An entity we've creatively dubbed the Shadow Man. Now, to me, it sounds like that entity wanted to throw down and found himself defeated when he realized his foe was already out for the count. It also sounds like there's some sort of attachment going on here. A sighting of a single Shadow Entity is rare, Having one witnessed in two separate vehicles, it's almost unheard of. So perhaps the vehicle, the road, or maybe even Genesis herself, has some sort of strange attachment to this shadowy netherworld. And did anyone else catch the similarities with the classic ghost story, High Beams, or The Killer in the Backseat? And that might be a thing our older listeners remember. I'm not sure how popular these sort of ghost stories are anymore. But stories like this scared the hell out of me when I was a kid at the campfire. Now essentially, the story goes like this. The following was pulled from the children's book 
Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark by Alvin Schwartz The girl driving the old blue sedan was a senior at the high school. She lived on a farm about eight miles away and used the car to drive back and forth. She had driven into town that night to see a basketball game. Now she was on her way home. As she pulled away from the school, she noticed a red pickup truck follow her out of the parking lot. A few minutes later, the truck was still behind her. She began to watch the truck in her mirror. When she changed her speed, the driver of the truck changed his speed. When she passed a car, so did he. Then he turned on his high beams, flooding her car with light. He left them on for almost a minute. He probably wants to pass me, she thought. But she was becoming uneasy. Usually she drove home over a back road. Not too many people went that way. But when she turned onto the road, so did the truck. I've got to get away from him, she thought. And she began to drive faster. Then he turned his high beams on again. After a minute, he turned them off. Then he turned them on and off again. She drove even faster, but the truck stayed right behind her. Then he turned his high beams on again. Once more, the car was ablaze with light. What is he doing, she wondered. What does he want? Then he turned them off again. At last, she pulled into her driveway, and the truck pulled in right behind her. She jumped from the car and ran into the house. Call the police, she screamed at her father. Out in the driveway, she could see the driver of the truck. He had a gun in his hand. When the police arrived, they started to arrest him, but he pointed to the girl's car. You don't want me, he said. You want him. Crouched behind the driver's seat, there was a man with a knife. As the driver of the truck explained it, the man slipped into the girl's car right before she left the school. He saw it happen, but there was no way he could stop it. He thought about getting the police, but he was afraid to leave her, so he followed the car. Each time, the man in the back seat reached up to overpower her. The driver of the truck turned on his high beams. Then the man dropped down, afraid that someone might see him. I think most anyone could see the correlation here. The folklore version is said to be based on a true story that took place somewhere in the late 60s. Now, from what I understand, a man broke out of prison and slipped into the back seat of a empty car that he found. You know the rest. Except that the escapee didn't realize that he'd snuck into a cop's personal vehicle. And to put it bluntly, he didn't survive the experience. Now, details of this legend are sparse, so who knows how accurate that actually is. But how about the story Genesis shared? Two shadow person experiences in the car surrounding her. If you keep that up, Genesis, you'll end up with some sort of reputation. And people will be afraid to ride with you. Just please tell me you don't drive for Uber or something. And thank you again for sharing the entry. Now, if you too have a paranormal story you think would fit perfectly on this program, give us a call at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 888-608-N-I-G-H-T. And remember, you can always send me an email with your pre-recorded message at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com. Oh, and do me a favor and please don't call from a moving vehicle. I have a very large folder of calls that were submitted from either a NASA testing tunnel or some moving vehicle. Either way, they're not fit for the air, and I can't play them. So do me, yourself, and the listeners a favor, and call from a still, quiet location with a good signal. Look, if you're going to take the time to call in, let's at least make sure that people can hear you. Now, this next entry is possibly from out of this world. Duke out of California. Welcome to the show. Hey, Derek, this is Duke from Bay Area, California. This story happened, say, about six years ago. 
but I forgot all about it until I saw a trailer of the new movie, Nope. And one of the actors in the trailer mentioned that there was a cloud that wasn't moving. And, that, and it kind of brought back this memory I had. So a few years back, I was living with my grandmother and it was a clear sky. It was a clear blue sky. It wasn't a lot of clouds around at all. And my cousin was going to come over to pick up a pair of shoes I was going to give him because I wasn't wearing them anymore. And so I told him to call me when he got into the parking lot. So I met him out in the parking lot. And we were talking for about five to six minutes, standing by the car, start talking in the parking lot. And every once in a while, I would look to my left, like the corner of my eye, and I, and I saw something, but I didn't really trip off of it. And I, you know, I was looking at him talking. And I kept looking, so I finally, like, turned as I was talking to him. And it was like a yellow, it wasn't really fully yellow, but it was a little cloud. And it was white, but it had little tints of yellow in it. And it was just sitting there, like floating on top of one of the apartment buildings. And I would I would look at it a little bit longer every time I turned my head and then turned back to him and talk until I finally stopped him, you know, in the middle of the conversation. And I went, hey, you check this out. I said, you see that cloud right there? He's like, yeah. I said, the hasn't moved. It's just been sitting there the whole time. And I told him, I said, look around. There's no other clouds. And we looked around, the sky was clear. And as soon as we finished looking around and looked back at the cloud, it started slowly moving. And as it started moving, you could see like little lights in it. Like if you really looked at it, you could, it, I don't know if it was like a glare or lights or whatever, but as soon as we looked at it, it started moving. You see the little lights in it and it slowly evaporated. Like, you know how people have hookahs or you know, smoking or something like that, how something just slowly evaporates. That's kind of what happened. Like it didn't zoom away. It didn't look like a UFO. It just looked like a cloud that it just made me feel like it was just watching us. And as soon as we noticed it, it, it was just like, oh, uh, maybe let's just get out of here. That's kind of what it felt like. And it just it slowly evaporated. And even the little lights or the shine to it just went away. I mean, like I said, it wasn't a fully white cloud it, it had like a hint of yellow in it kind of it wasn't smoke it, it wasn't coming out of anybody's chimney because nobody had any chimneys in these apartment buildings there, there were no chimneys it wasn't from the laundromat because the laundromat was in a different area it was just there all right man thanks i'm a first time caller long time listener i got a couple of other stories i'll hit you back with all right thanks have a good day bye thanks duke I once went to the Coachella Music Festival, out past Palm Springs out in the desert. I went once and vowed never to go again. Simply not my cup of tea. Also, it was consistently 122 degrees each day that we were there. But I digress. But while we were there, I noticed something similar to what Duke was describing. A fluffy little cloud sitting just behind this mountain that stood nearby. Now even though there was an entire concert going on, I was transfixed on this cloud because it would be there one minute, then gone the next, then suddenly back again. All within about a five minute span. Finally, I decided to tune out the concert and watch as it evaporated then returned again. Right back in the same place. Now at this point I alerted the rest of my group and they too watched as it happened again. And yeah, we were all drinking. And it was 122 degrees, but I believe what we witnessed was real. As in tangible, not a hallucination. But I also think that maybe that's just how the weather works in these dry, hot, mountainous areas. Now I've linked to a video that shows this very thing in action. Is this a little-known weather phenomenon, or is there more to this story? Some researchers out there would suggest that these strangely behaving clouds are actually cloaked UFOs. Some sort of projection that allows them to hide in broad daylight. And it's not until they malfunction, or until they're the only cloud in the sky, that they become suspicious. And that could also explain the yellowish coloring and the blinking lights that Duke reported. But frankly, I'm not so sure on this one. Perhaps like many of these calls, this one will break the ice on the subject and we will begin to hear more about this 
strange spectacle in the future. But until then, we thank you again, Duke, for your time. Now for something a little more ghostly. Please welcome Sandy from Virginia to the program. Hey, Derek. My name's Sandy, and I'm originally from a little town called Jonesville, Virginia. Whenever I was about five years old, we lived in a house back in the middle of nowhere. It was like on a river, and it was a two-story house. And I remember my mom and dad telling this story a lot, more than I really remember this happening. But of the night, we would be sitting in the living room watching TV or whatever, and we would hear something from the story above us. It would sound like it would jump down onto the ceiling and just walk all around. And you could hear it climbing and then just jump right back down. So this happened a couple nights. I mean, my dad would go up and look and nothing would be there. And so he decided he took a bag of flour up there and he sprinkled it all over the floor. And he thought, well, if it's a critter, you know, we'll find out what it is. So he did it, and then next night, same thing. We heard it all again, and I don't know if he went up that night and checked or the next morning he checked. There was no tracks, but something had been walking up there. It was kind of a spooky house anyway to me, and I always kind of felt, even though I was young, I felt a little unedged there at that house, and it sat right on a river. like There was like these bluffs that, you know, right down from our house that there was a, a caves and stuff they claimed. And they actually also claimed that a couple of ladies drowned, young girls drowned right in that bin where close to where our house was. And I don't know if that's got anything to do with it or not, you know, but that was always kind of a sort of a spooky story that we told, you know, and heard all our lives growing up. But I remember the house being very creepy. We never could figure out what, what it was, but, you know, it, it was very strange. And I love your podcast. My son actually told me about it. And we've got a couple other stories from our family. Maybe we'll have to call back sometime and share them. But I hope you can use it. And thank you for all you do. And we really are entertained. And that's my story. Thanks for hearing it. Thank you, Sandy. The old flower trick. Smart thinking. Now, typically, that one's reserved for car bumpers as they lazily coast across a set of railroad tracks, collecting tiny little fingerprints as it goes. But this is a clever use as well. And overall, it sounds like an interesting, albeit terrifying place to call home. And we thank you again, Sandy, for sharing those experiences with us. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. We all think we know ourselves, but the reality is we're all constantly growing and changing, which makes getting to know ourselves a lifelong process. And therapy can help you get a handle on what it is you really need to feel content in life by helping to deepen your self-awareness and self-understanding. Now, I found therapy has helped me unpack my emotions and reactions so I can make better decisions and be more at peace going forward. Therapy isn't just for people who have suffered trauma. It's for practically anyone on this roller coaster we call life. Because we all need support when navigating the ups and downs. Now, if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, and affordable. And for some reason, if you aren't vibing with your therapist, you can switch at any time for no additional charge. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash Monsters Among Us today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash Monsters Among Us. Now, as always, supporting our sponsor supports the show. So thank you for listening. Back to that thing that's rummaging through your garbage. Now let's make our way back to the Commonwealth of Virginia, where this time Dana is waiting with her tail. Hi, my name's Dana. I'm from Virginia. 
My friend Leah listens to your podcast a lot, and we got talking about some of the paranormal experiences I've had, and she told me that I needed to call in and share at least one with you guys. So I've been having paranormal stuff happen to me my entire life, ever since I was a child. I've seen ghosts, talked to ghosts, like they they don't bother me at all. And as an adult, um, I'm a nurse, and I've had a lot of really weird things happen to me as a nurse. I've always worked in ER and, and ICU, so I've always been around a lot of death at work. So this particular story happened a couple months ago, maybe a year ago. Um, I was working night shift, working three nights in a row, 312, in my cardiac ICU. And my first night, I got a patient from the floor who's come to my ICU pretty much to die. He needed to be on BiPAP, which they can't do on the floor. So he came over to us so that we could give him that intervention. And he rolled over um, and he was like so coherent, like awake, like he knew what was going on. Like he like was choosing this, like he wanted to go in this direction. So like middle-aged guy or so. So I admitted him and then the next night I went back to work and my assignments changed. So he wasn't my patient. We were a small, small unit and he was at the back end of the unit and my assignment was at the front end. So anyway, so that night we had um, him in the second to last room and another patient in the last room that were both comfort measures that were getting ready to pass away. So right around 3 a.m., both of their telemetry, like their heart rhythm, started looking funky. And all of us were like, hmm, is, are they going to go together? Like, this is really weird because at the same time, both of their rhythms started changing, like starting to look like not great. And the patient in the last room, his rhythm ended up being okay. But this patient, he ended up passing away shortly after 3 a.m. So probably about two hours later, like 5, 5.30 in the morning, I was in my patient's room at the other end of the hall. And I had the curtain wide open. And I was standing in my room staring at my dialysis machine. And out of my periphery, I saw a man standing in the hallway like I just saw a guy and I looked and there was no one there and I was like oh okay it was a ghost it was probably the guy that died in the back okay that's fine like that happens to me I wasn't freaked out I was just like okay so I go home sleep all day get up go to work the next night and I get off work in the morning and sometimes like back then when I worked night my husband would sleep out on the couch because our work schedules were just so off that sometimes he'd sleep on the couch so we both could get like good rest and not keep each other up so I wake up after my third night and uh, get a nap and I have a text from my husband saying hey babe I think there's something in the house can you do like a cleansing because I'm practicing Wicca and he's like can you do a cleansing to kind of get like the spirit out and it's not the first time I've had to do it and I was like oh yeah sure so um, our apartment on the second floor it was like you walked in through the door you're in our apartment there's a staircase straight up and our apartment was on the second floor at the time so and then I go through each room with my incense basically telling the spirit like you're not welcome here you need to leave. And I would open the windows or like the slider to my balcony and say like the windows open, the doors open, like you need to leave, like go. And I get through the whole house and like everything was totally fine. My house felt fine. And I get to the top of the stairs and I'm like, oh, there you are. And I can just feel this energy in my staircase. Not evil, like not angry. It was like scared. Like he was just scared and he didn't want to leave. But I could just feel it, like my aura, my skin, like I could just feel him in there and I did not like it. And so I was like, okay, deep breath, here we go. And I go down the staircase and I tell him, you need to leave here, you're not welcome here. I open my front door and I say, the door is open, you need to go. So I go upstairs and like, felt like the energy was gone, it felt lighter, like felt better and more calm in my place. So, all right, time goes on, my husband comes home from work. And I say, you know, what? I, I think the spirit's gone, like everything's good, but what made you think that there was even a spirit in the house? Like, I, I never asked. And he said, oh, it was the wildest, scariest thing. He said, when I was sleeping on the couch, he was having sleep paralysis, but not like normal sleep paralysis, more like he was dreaming and seeing himself lying on the couch, and he saw a man walk up the staircase stand at the top of the stairs and stare at him. And every time he thought he woke up, he was in that dream again. It was almost like the movie Inception, like dream within a dream within a dream. And he knew he was trapped. And he's like, I thought that the the man I was seeing was trapping me. And so he said that 
it, he went through like nine different layers of dreams, like trying to wake up, trying to wake up, couldn't wake up, and had to, in his dream, because he was also like lucid dreaming, was like, I need to do something to startle myself, to wake myself up. So in his dream, he just pictured that he just got like stabbed, like something to give him like an adrenaline rush. And he was able to like finally wake up in like a full body sweat. But I never told him that I had a patient die and that I saw his spirit like in the hallway. Never told him that the spirit could have followed me home. Never told him anything. And he never even said to me, oh, I was having sleep paralysis. Like it wasn't until after I felt the energy in the staircase that came out that that's where he saw this spirit in his dream. So it was super freaky. And that kind of stuff happens all the time to me and my husband, where we both have separate experiences that validate each other's. So that's my one of my stories. Um, I hope you liked it. And hopefully I will call back soon with other stories. Thank you so much. Keep it spooky. Thanks, Dana. Ghostly activity in a hospital. You know, that's nothing new to us. We hear this sort of thing all the time. And for good reason, I would think. Hospitals are downright creepy. And this call made me wonder how many doctors, nurses, and other medical professionals experience activity in their homes. Is that a known occupational hazard? Things following you home. Or is that just my imagination running away from me? Thanks again, Dana for the stories now folks keeping with that haunting vibe we're headed to the opposite end of the country Brooke from Washington State welcome to the show hey Derek this is Brooke calling from Washington State so I grew up in a house that was supposedly built on an old Indian burial ground The house was built in 1893 and moved from one point to where it was built up to a different point higher away from the river to avoid flooding and things like that. So I grew up in this house and I had a lot of experiences, but I remember one night in specific, my mom was not there. I was probably about 16, 17, and uh, we had a dog that was very social. She liked to go jump on people and lick them when they came to the house. So as soon as somebody pulled up the driveway, she knew and she heard it and she would go run to the door and get all excited. So this one night, I didn't hear anybody pull up the driveway, but she was acting weird. So I opened my door and she just went to the top of the stairs. Normally she would run all the way down them and bark at the front door, but she stayed at the top of the stairs and she kind of hunkered down and she started growling like the most crazy growl I had ever heard her do. And I got scared. And I had, for whatever reason, I had a a kitchen knife, a sharp knife, but a kitchen knife in my bedroom. And I made my dog come back in the room and close the door and I had this knife under my pillow because I was scared. I thought somebody was in the house. So she kept growling, kept growling, acting weird. And I was hearing all this commotion downstairs. It sounded like, somebody knocking things off the counter or the table or whatever and then all of a sudden I heard this weird noise and then I heard glass shatter and I was like oh my god there's somebody in the house and I called my mom I was like you have to come home right now there's somebody in the house there's things going on down there Uh, there has to be somebody in the house so she said oh well you know she didn't really believe me and she said I'll be home soon so about two and a half hours later she comes home And I'm still scared. I'm still awake. The dog is still growling and acting weird. And mom comes home and she says, so all of the windows are closed and locked. All of the doors are closed and locked. There's nobody or nothing in the house. But everything that was on the kitchen table is now knocked on the floor. And we had this lamp, like a corner lamp, standing lamp that was broken and we had taken it and crammed the bottom like the base of it up against the couch and the top of it the glass part that had the light bulb in it in the corner of the room in the living room and it had somehow dislodged itself from the corner of the living room and fell into the next room and just shattered on the floor and my mom said you know there's nobody nothing in the house so I don't know how that would have happened but the house was definitely haunted. (laughs) 
I knew that growing up, but there's my story. Uh, I have a lot more, but that's the big one I can think of right now. Um, maybe I'll call back with another one. I don't know. Uh, thanks for the podcast. Bye. Thank you, Brooke. Now, perhaps the only thing worse than living in a haunted house would be experiencing the activity when you find yourself home alone. But hopefully, like in Brooke's case, years later it makes for a great little story. So thank you again, Brooke, for taking the time to share it. Well, we've pretty much covered every single ghostly angle we could over the last few calls. So now it's time to venture into the world of monsters and creatures. A little cryptid corner, if you will. And to kick this stint off, please, welcome this anonymous caller from Parts Unknown. Hi, Derek. I love the show. I have called in before. I happen to have a gift, if you want to call it, of precognition, or I might even consider it time travel. I tend to find my spirit wandering and watching things that are going to happen in the future and they always come true because it's not a dream it's literally an experience so anyway i happened to be in this state during one night you know wherever i was traveling in this astral projection i do i don't do it willingly it just happens and i was underneath a house and i started coming under the house and i ran head into this creature that look kind of like the thing from um, where the wild things are with red furry shaggy fur gigantic but it had a human face like straight on human face with two horns and next to it it had a little kind of elfy sidekick I didn't get a good look at it because it kind of stays behind this thing but when I met it eye to eye I got really frightened and I said oh I got to get out of here and I backed completely away okay Shortly after that, within a couple of months, I had a move. And we had a couple of houses we were redoing. And I had really never been in this other house, but I had a move there. So I move into this house. And it was an older house. And, you know, one night I'm laying on the couch, maybe a month after we moved in. And all of a sudden, I see this thing and its sidekick start walking past me in the living room. This must have been one thirty, two thirty in the morning. And it was right there walking past me. Now, the property bordered a giant forest that is a national preserve. And in the woods, there are many strange things. And my, my inclination is that this thing is an interdimensional creature. And that's why no one has ever been able to catch a Bigfoot, because it's interdimensional. But I saw it ahead of time, and then I saw it literally. And it was in this house, and I was happy when I moved out. That's my story. It's true. I'm not crazy. I don't take meds. I've never had any problems medically. And, you know, some people just have this gift. It's not really accepted nowadays because science, whatever. But people really do have this precognition or time travel ability. And I've been given it. You know, I've seen good. I've seen bad. So that's my story. And thank you very much. Thank you, caller. Who am I to judge? I told you guys a few weeks ago that I can predict pregnancy. At least sometimes. So perhaps it shouldn't sound all that odd for others to claim that they too have mysterious abilities. But not judging and not believing are two different things. Not to say that I don't believe her caller. Because she certainly sounds convinced and convincing. But I have a hard time believing that I have any sort of special ability, let alone anyone else. But maybe there are creatures just beyond our plane of existence. Perhaps there is that occasional bleed over when we enter their world or they stumble into ours. And it's certainly one way to explain all this activity. And I suppose it's a pill that's just as easy to swallow as any of it. So digest it any way you can, dear listener. And thank you, caller for expanding our perspectives. It's a great show, by the way. Friends of the program, Cam and Kyle, down in Texas. If you like my show, I think you should check them out. Not a paper motion. Now, as it turns out, this next submitter, too, has chosen to remain anonymous. 
but we do know that he's from that state up north. So I was going to give you my name, but people up here think I'm weird enough as it is. So I'm currently located in Michigan's Upper Peninsula, and there's a lot that leads up to this, but to keep it short, I'll just get to the point. A year ago, I was staying at my mom's house, and I typically stay up pretty late, kind of have a hard time falling asleep. So I'm in bed. I'm on my iPad trying to pick something on YouTube to fall asleep to. I look at the clock on there, and it says 3.04 or something like that. Uh, I lay back, close my eyes, slowly start to drift off, and wake up to my itchy beard. So I'm scratching my face, and I just happen to look to my left, and there's a tall, gray-skinned, pale-eyed, like emaciated thing standing there. The best way I can really describe it is to compare it to, like, Smeagol from Lord of the Rings and Voldemort, if they had a baby. That's kind of what it looked like. And it was just staring at me like it was shocked or surprised that I'd woken up and seen it. Like it didn't expect to be caught. And I started kicking and scooting and yelling. And as I'm doing that, it creeps to the corner of the room where my view of it's obscured by um, a stack of pillows next to me. And the next part's kind of hard to explain. I don't really know how to put it, but I guess I lost consciousness. Somehow I ended up back asleep and... When I woke up, I looked at my clock and 40 minutes had gone by. Made the mistake of telling my girlfriend and my mom, and of course, you know, they're supportive and say they believe me, but I know they don't. Anyway, that's it. Hopefully uh, you can use this. If not, no worries. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for that entry. Now, if I didn't know any better, I'd say that this is an alien abduction story. A lot of the elements seem to be there. He's mentioned that a lot of strange activity was going on prior to this event. High strangeness is often a side effect of these alien abduction cases. He'd also mentioned that he'd seen a creature in his room that, as far as I can tell, matches perfectly with the infamous gray aliens of paranormal lore. Not to mention the bout with missing time that our caller reported as well. So I may be stating the obvious, but it sounds like an alien abduction to me. And when it comes to these cases, there really seems to be no rhyme or reason as to why one person is chosen over the other. We look for patterns, we look for similarities, but are often left scratching our heads. But in researching this topic for this particular call, my assistant Delaney stumbled upon something I thought could at least connect a couple of dots. It seems that the state of Michigan, the location of her caller's strange experience, is a hotbed for this sort of behavior. In fact, one town in the Mitten State, in particular, seems to be ground zero for the alien abduction phenomena. At least it did back in the mid-90s. Headline, EMU Sociologist Examines Reports of UFO Abduction. Irish Hills Featured in TV Program. An Eastern Michigan University sociologist is examining reports of a rash of alien abductions in the Irish Hills that will be featured on a Saturday night television program. Judy would have laughed and flipped the channel if someone on television had claimed aliens abducted her, impregnated her, took her fetus, and gave her healing powers. But not after 1989, when what seems like a whopping tale became her life. I do not blame anyone who doesn't believe me. I would not believe me if it had not happened to me, said the Irish Hills resident. If it all would stop today, I would be very happy. Judy, which is not her name, said she cannot stop the alien visits nor call them at will, nor can several family members and about 35 other area residents who claim aliens abduct them regularly, she said. She will tell this story on television Saturday in an episode of the program, Sightings. Now that article, courtesy of the Ann Arbor News Bureau, Now we searched like crazy and finally came up with the sightings episode mentioned in the article. Season 3, episode 25. And here's a short clip from that package. I woke up in the middle of the night and I felt that there was someone alongside of the bed. And I reached my right hand out and I touched the shoulder 
of someone who were probably the size of a five-year-old. I was paralyzed. I couldn't move. It was total terror. She has asked to use the pseudonym Judy. She does not want viewers to know who she is, only what she is, an abductee. Her terror began in 1989 and came to light after a local paper invited readers to call in with their UFO experiences. Kogan's resulting article described a woman with a history of multiple abductions and vivid recollections of encounters with small gray creatures. It was almost as though they were saying, ready or not, here we come. But I didn't know at the time what was going on because I didn't know about alien abductions. Now, of course, a link to this full episode can be found in tonight's show notes. So go check it out. It gets pretty interesting. Apparently, these extraterrestrials gifted Judy with healing abilities. But I'll let the TV program take you on that deep dive. Back to our caller. Remember the old trick to put your clothes on inside out when you go to bed. If you wake up and they're suddenly on correctly... Well, you know, you might not have dressed yourself. And you might just have some bigger problems on your hands. So thank you again, caller, for sharing that terrifying experience. Those sorts of stories always take me back to when I was a kid watching Unsolved Mysteries. Those little aliens would freak me right out. Well, folks, here we are. And I have a wild one saved for last all the way from the frozen plains of North Dakota. Please join me in welcoming Toby to the program. Hi, Derek. My name is Toby. I'm coming at you live from beautiful, sunny Fargo, North Dakota. But that's not where my story takes place. My story takes place in Minot, North Dakota. Over 20 years ago now, when I was about six years old, Minot, North Dakota is a smaller city, around 30,000-ish people, about an hour from the Canadian border in North Dakota. So not super remote, but fairly remote. Now, when I was around five or six years old, we moved to North Dakota, and there was a night where everyone else in the house was asleep, and I was still awake. And being a little kid, I kind of went out into the front room of the house where there was a window that looked out across the street to a vacant lot that was across from our home. No trees, no shrubs, no anything in this vacant lot, just thorns and weeds and a little green electrical box. You know the kind, the little outdoor kind. And the reason that I'm making this call is actually inspired by similar calls that I've heard from Florida, the ones about the pale crawlers and the other weird whitish creatures. And the one that stuck out to me the most was one where the caller had described the thing that they saw as having something like the head of a deer. So when I was six years old and I was looking out my window this night, I looked across the street and I saw this white animal that at first I thought was a rabbit because it was white and it had long ears. And what other creature is white and has long ears but a rabbit? So I'm watching it, and it peeks its head up from behind that little electrical box. And as I'm watching it, it stands up on two legs, and it is very much not a rabbit. It actually looks more to me at the time like a kangaroo. It held its paws in what I would describe as like a raptor hands kind of style, tucked up. It had a long tail, and it bounded away on two legs. It didn't look really, really tall like the pill crawlers and the other calls. It was probably more around my height, which at the time I would have been not even five feet tall. And this little kangaroo creature popped up from behind this green electrical box, and it got up and it hopped away, and I watched it hop away until it was out of sight, and I couldn't follow it with my eyes anymore, and it was gone. The next day, I went out to play, and I went out into the field looking to see if I could find any tracks or any sign of this weird animal, and I never could. I never could find another trace of it. It showed up just the one time, seemingly out of nowhere, hopped away, and it was gone. And as a little kid, I never bothered telling this story to anybody because I figured a six-year-old, even then, they're just plain not going to believe me. They're not going to believe what I saw. 
But as an adult, I've done a little bit more reading into the subject, and it turns out that weird phantom kangaroo sightings actually are a cryptid thing that exists. The only ones that I could find, though, were in Texas. And in Texas, they had an added layer to the story because they said the kangaroo in those stories would kill and eat dogs. And kangaroos in the wild are vegetarians who eat grass. So whatever killed and ate those dogs was not a kangaroo, even if it looked like a kangaroo. And it really stuck out to me with these pale crawler stories because most of them are pretty nondescript. They just say there is a figure or a creature with white hair, but they don't go on to describe any other pieces of it, except for that one caller who described it as deer-like. And of course, if you look at a kangaroo, they stand upright and they have heads that are pretty deer-like. But it's quite a geographical distance between me and the other caller, one being in Florida and one being in North Dakota. So I don't know, maybe this rare phenomenon migrates or maybe it's just more widespread than we think. But that's really all I got for you. Thanks for letting me call in. I uh, love the show and take care. Thanks, Toby. He's correct, you know. Out of place animals including kangaroo, are considered cryptids. And he's also correct in that kangaroo have been reported all over the United States. Cases in Ohio, Texas, Oklahoma, Florida, and Wisconsin all come to mind. Just do a quick search for escaped kangaroo in the United States, and you'll see plenty of examples. And when these kangaroo do escape, likely from the same place our ABCs escape from, private collections and breeders. They often become a phenomena we call phantom kangaroos. But there is something I feel that Toby was wrong about. He claimed that a kangaroo would not kill a domestic dog. And I'm here to say that I've heard plenty of stories to the contrary. In fact, I even have audio evidence to prove it. I remember being told of kangaroos taking dogs and grabbing them and trying to drown them. Instantly, I became alarmed. Luring the predator into the water, it's a well-known kangaroo defense. Once the kangaroo is in the water, it's safe. Its height allows it to watch and wait as the dog swims out to meet it. It lets the dog get close and lunges, using all its weight to keep the dog under until it drowns. The kangaroo can stand in quite deep water and the dog can't touch the bottom, at which point they can then grab it and hold it underwater. Now that clip from the deadliest place on Earth from Animal Planet. And I know what you're thinking. Sure, a six-foot-tall, 200-pound kangaroo can drown a dog. They have a height advantage. They're using the water. But what about killing one on land? Well, sadly, I have an example for that as well. A Keelor family has been left devastated after their beloved Pomeranian was killed by a kangaroo. They've told Dougal Beatty the two-metre-tall buck mauled the dog when it became trapped in their backyard. Now that clip courtesy of News 9 out of Sydney, Australia. And I bet you're all now wondering, when was the last time a human was killed by a roo? Well, the answer to that is back in 1936, when 38-year-old William Crookshank was stomped to death while, and get this, saving his dogs from a kangaroo attack. The point here being that they may seem cute and mascotty but they're actually dangerous creatures that should be respected. And if you come in close contact, maybe fear it a little bit. But it's well known that there are no kangaroos in the state of North Dakota, right? Well, there's actually said to be one. A woman named Gloria Whipper owns the only kangaroo registered with the state's Board of Animal Health. And get this. She strongly believes that there is another one out in the wilds of North Dakota somewhere. She's even found tail swirls and footprints, and even heard the animal's distinct call. 
which sounds like this. That's the exact same sound my grandfather would make every time I would ask him for a favor. But in fairness to him, he still almost always did the favor. Now, in addition to Whipler's suspicion, North Dakota Deputy State Veterinarian Beth Fuller claims that her office has received a number of reports claiming a kangaroo is wild in the state. So, if this were indeed a roo, Toby wouldn't be alone in seeing it. But let's just say for a moment that it wasn't an escaped kangaroo that was witnessed that evening. What else could it have been? What other bipedal creature could have crossed paths with Toby that evening? Well, oddly enough, an encounter 1,100 miles away just might shed some light on Toby's experience. Something strange happened in the tiny town of Enfield, Illinois, where 50 years ago this week, they were tormented by an abomination that is still discussed to this day. Here is the actual article that ran all the way back in 1973 that exposed the country to this mysterious creature, courtesy of the Associated Press. A monster at Enfield. Henry McDaniel says he shot and wounded a creature on his doorstep and is worried it may come back to get even. McDaniel, 50, said he had just returned from a meeting Wednesday night when he heard something scratching on his door. It had three legs on it, he said. A short body, two little short arms, and two pink eyes as big as flashlights. It stood four and a half to five feet tall and was grayish colored. It was trying to get into the house, he said. McDaniel, an antique dealer, said he slammed the door and grabbed a pistol and flashlight from the dresser in his bedroom and returned to the front door. Opened it and, spotting the monster about twelve feet from the house, he fired four shots. When I fired that first shot, I know I hit it, he said. The creature gave out a hiss, he said, much like a wildcat, judging from his imitation of the sound. Covering 50 feet in three jumps, it fled through some brush along a railroad embankment that runs near the McDaniel home. Now the police came and couldn't find anything. Then McDaniel actually saw the creature a second time, but still with no identification. Now, links to the article I just read and nearly anything else I discussed this evening can be found over at our website at monstersamonguspodcast.com and clicking the show notes tab. But imagine it, a four to five foot tall gray creature with two arms, three legs, and glowing pink eyes. Honestly, it sounds exactly like a, another kangaroo to me, especially if you consider that massive tail, a tail roos often sit on especially when taking a defensive position. But here's the kicker. Henry McDaniel, the witness that evening, claimed to have once had a pet kangaroo when he was stationed in Australia. So in his opinion, he could not have been mistaken. But what if that kangaroo had some sort of ailment? Mange, frostbite, hair loss. Would he recognize it then? And would Toby have he was confronted by the same scenario. The infield horror, as it was later dubbed, may not have been a kangaroo, but it is worth noting that the other attribute mentioned, those glowing pink eyes. Well, kangaroo have very large eyes for the size of their faces. And it might not shock you to know that they glow a bright reddish pink when illuminated, giving them the appearance of something evil or sinister. Now I link to a photo example in the show notes. Go take a look if you dare. And I don't know, Toby. I certainly don't mean to diminish your experience by suggesting it could have been an Australian marsupial. But all the evidence seems to point that way. Now we just need someone to go out there and catch it. And prove just how wrong I actually am. Until then, though, we thank you, Toby, for sharing the entry. 
And that's going to wrap this one up, folks. It's been a pleasure serving you heaping helpings of horror this evening. And I trust I'll catch you back here again next week for a brand new installment. But until that day, Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Delaney Bowers. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. Please take the time to follow us over on social media. And while you're at it, give us a like and follow over at YouTube as well. And if you don't mind, maybe leave us a rate and review, wherever that sort of thing is possible. And finally, the score you heard this evening was provided by Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, Co.ag Music, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for tuning in. Keep your eyes open for the unusual, and above all else, keep it spooky out there. And have yourself a good night. Oh, and be sure to listen through these next ads. Not only does it help support the show, but we also hang out behind those ads from time to time. And you're welcome to join us, if you'd like. Now, you know how you go to a concert. You're watching your favorite performer. And the show ends, and everybody's clapping, and the lights get bright, and go out... And the band leaves the stage. But the audience begins to clap. And they clap harder and they start cheering and yelling. And suddenly the performers come back out and do another song or two. All the while acting like it wasn't part of the plan all along. Well, you just stumbled upon that. Except you don't have to clap. Because I can't hear you anyway. All that you really need to do is suffer through an ad or two but I'm getting off topic. I have yet another weird call to share with you this evening in this secret spot. This time out of the state of Texas, where Mike is ready with an entry. Okay, so my name's Mike. I'm from San Benito, Texas. This is a story my mom would tell me. This happened like around 1960. It would be like around 19. One night, her friends and herself would be coming home from watching a double feature, you know, one of those horror double features like in the old days, right? So, you know, they're coming home. My mom has a stick because, you know, there's always dogs out there. You know, she uses a stick to protect herself. So they're walking and they see a black dog across the street. And she told me this dog was black didn't see no eyes it was pure black so they're walking this thing starts following them and she's getting this bad vibe about it so she and her friends you know they start praying they start praying uh this uh i don't i I think it's uh, a mother mary prayer in spanish so they're praying and this black dog seemed to stop like as soon as they started praying it stopped and stared at them and after that they they just turned a corner and left and a couple of days later she finds out that the dog that was standing there next to this house this old lady was there and apparently she died a few days ago and she told me that this lady was a witch or was known to be a witch So I'm thinking it's one of those dogs from the old Scottish legends, you know? Maybe maybe it was a harbinger of death. I don't know. But if it was, I don't know. My my mom is very religious. And if those, I mean, I've heard that these dogs would, if you've seen them, that it was like a, you know, a sign of death or something. But that's all I have to say. So I don't know what this thing is. Uh, but it does sound similar to those legendary Irish dogs, you know? So, thanks for listening. I hope you can use this. Uh, bye. Thanks, Mike. Now, you know, I'm proudly owned by two black cats, so I'm quite familiar with the effects a negative reputation can have on a animal, or a color of animal. 
black dogs and cats are much less likely to be adopted than those of any other color. And that's due mostly to the stigma attached as a result of hundreds of years of folklore. So don't let stories like Mike's, no matter how awesome it is, dissuade you from adopting a black cat, dog, rabbit, or whatever. Don't buy into the hype. And on that note, it was a great story, Mike. And we appreciate you sharing it here with us. And that's going to take us over the threshold. From here on out, this episode is going beyond. But you can join us by signing up over at patreon.com and searching for Monsters Among Us Podcast. Or go directly to our website at monstersamonguspodcast.com and clicking on the Patreon tab. The $1 level gives you ad-free episodes. The $5 level gets you access to not only ad-free content, but the entire back catalog of bonus material, including some 80 hours of additional content. And the remainder of tonight's episode. And tonight we explore the connection between sleep paralysis and alien abduction. More Ouija board stories. We also discuss a southern Sasquatch. So I truly hope that you join us. Now, to get us started this evening, we begin with a bit of a rebuttal. Here's our anonymous caller from the state of Alabama. Hey, Derek. I have a rebuttal on the last episode you did, the Bama Slam Flip You Play. Now, I live in the same county. The people that run Bama Slam, for those who don't know, which most of y'all don't, Bama Slam is a big music venue. It's a ATV venue. It's a mudbogging venue. Everything. It's all about money. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to Counterclock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.